Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning, good morning. All right, what have you sewn lately? Not like what have you sewn in terms of like buttons on a shirt. Although knowing to sew in that way is important and good. But what have you sewn lately? What did you sew yesterday in your conversation? What did you sew into um, your relationships? What did you sew into the gospel's advance? We're going to talk about sowing and reaping today, and we're going to talk about how it is that you and I cultivate the culture by um, sowing into it seeds of generosity. So our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul is instructing the Christians in Corinth here on uh, a philosophy of giving, a Christian philosophy of sowing and reaping. Um, And so he makes four points uh, in this very, very brief passage. Give generously, give thoughtfully, give willingly, give cheerfully. Give generously. Um, and he is using here the illustration of sowing, uh, sowing seed in particular. But here we would also think about the way we sow resources into gospel ministry. So, you know, plant generously in order that there might be a generous crop. Give generously. Um, and then you must each decide in your heart how much to give. That is give thoughtfully. Like give thought to it. Actually consider today what God is calling you to give out of the resources he has placed under your stewardship. What does he want to see sewn back into gospel ministry? And then give willingly. Um, the way Paul describes it, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Uh, give willingly. And so the, so the difference uh, between giving without any thought and under compulsion is when the offering basket is coming by, and you reluctantly, we, re, you know, because you, I don't know, you see, some, you see someone's eyes on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his eyes are always on us, by the way. Um, but you, you are really giving because you are concerned about what other people around you are thinking. And, um, and so you reach into your purse or your pocket and you draw out your wallet. And there, you, and then you make a, you know, you make a decision in haste. You don't make a thoughtful decision at all, and you're definitely doing it under compulsion. So, you know, Paul's basically saying, like, that, don't give like that. That's, that's, don't give like that. Uh, and then give cheerfully, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when we give generously, we sow the resources that God has placed under our stewardship back into his ongoing work in the world. And so we want to encourage one another to give generously. But we also want to give thoughtfully. 
we honor God and we prove ourselves to be good stewards of the resources that God has placed under our management when we give thoughtfully. That requires actual thought, discernment, deciding where we're going to sow and how much. Um, and, and then give willingly, not under compulsion, not because someone is projecting guilt or trying to scare you into giving. We give willingly because we have applied sound judgment and spiritual discernment to the process. Um, that's also going to mean you, you, know, you find appropriate ways to say no when somebody asks you to give and you have already thoughtfully determined where God is calling you to give and, and how much and you're able to articulate what you are supporting when you tell somebody what you're not supporting. Finally, give cheerfully. Um, we give with gratitude to God. We give with joy in our hearts. We give recognizing that it all comes from God and it all ultimately um, returns to God. And we give with a testimony on our lips. So I want to talk about that last point here for just a moment. September is fall fundraising month here at Faith Radio. And our Faith Radio fall fundraiser is coming up in just a few weeks. And we, we need your help. I mean, certainly we're going to need you to consider a gift. But right now, what I want you to consider um, is sharing your Faith Radio story. Thoughtfully consider the gift God is calling you to give, generously, thoughtfully, willingly, and cheerfully, um, to advance this gospel ministry. But right now, I want you to think about your faith radio story, because we need to be able to share your story with others in order to get them thinking about how much God is calling them to give to sow into this ministry. So think of a time that you heard something here that changed your life. We would like to hear that story. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to text the word STORY to 877-933-2484 if you have a story. If you have a Faith Radio story to to share, text the word STORY to 877-933-2484. Somebody will follow up with you to get the rest of the story. I want to know your why, why you listen, why you give, why you want Faith Radio to continue broadcasting why you think that what we do every day is important and is an important part of God's kingdom advancing work in the world today. So I need your help. What's your why? Um, Just text the word STORY to 877-933-2484 and somebody will follow up with you about next steps of recording your story so that we can share it with others during our fall fundraiser. So thank you in advance for your generous, thoughtful, willing, and cheerful gift. Mark Caleb Smith is going to join us next. We're going to talk about what happens when you stop teaching something. In this case, when you stop teaching civics. I was going to say physics. That's not it. When you stop teaching civics, what happens to civil society? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, there is a, a, a nonprofit group that ranked 254 colleges, uh, gave them a free speech ranking, and Harvard got a zero. <clears throat> got the worst possible grade out there for free speech. We want to talk about civics and what happens on college campuses and what happens to free speech when we stop teaching civics. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith is here with us. He's the dean of the School of Arts and Humanities at Cedarville University. He also blogs at BereansAtTheGate.com. Mark, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. How are you doing today? I'm good. A zero. A zero is not a good score unless, yeah, I mean, unless what you're going for is a zero, but here you're, you weren't going for a zero. Not a good score, but uh, were you surprised by that number? No, um, not at all. I mean, I, I think that when we, when we talk about um, what's no longer taught, 
Right. Um, and here we're going to bring specifically civics into view. Um, when we stop teaching the most basics of civics, which free speech seems like a really, really basic core principle of um, civil society, civil discourse, on and on and on, particularly for we the people in the United States of America. So let's talk about what what is or what are civics um, and what happens when you stop teaching it. Uh, yeah, civics, when we talk about civics, we're basically just talking about the the body of knowledge as part of it, for sure, uh, of how your government works. Uh, what does it mean to be <clears throat> a citizen within our society? What kind of expectations are there surrounding that? Um, and then how do you fit into our political system? So there's sort of this knowledge part of it that we would all recognize. You know, how many branches of government are there? Uh, what does the Constitution say about X, Y, or Z? But there's also, when we really do civics well, whether it's elementary school or all the way at the university level, there's a question of values. You know, you're trying to instill in students a set of political values, and you want them to internalize those values. And so it's more than just uh, what does the Constitution say about free speech? It's about why is free speech important and why should it matter? And are you willing to sacrifice in order for free speech to flourish in our society? And what does that even look like? Um, if you can begin to instill those kinds of values in students, uh, then you're really doing civics education well. So there's a knowledge part, and I think there's a strong values part. And the data suggests that we're sort of struggling across the board. If you were going to start a conversation with a young person on this topic, where where would you even where would you begin your discourse? How would you explore the gap in somebody's civics, um, not just education, but maybe their their integration, as you have described it? Of, I mean, I guess civics could be anything. So here I am right. thinking about the core or foundational right. meaning and value of being an American. Yeah. Uh, I think you have to begin with a basic understanding of why does government matter? Because um, I think for a lot of people, they're consumed with so many other things in their lives. Uh, some of them obviously extraordinarily important things like uh, earning a living and taking care of a family. Um, those are obviously critical. But I think for many people, they get they get disconnected from government and they start to just assume it really doesn't matter all that much. And so they become apathetic about it. And you have to begin, I think, by just explaining to them and talking to them about how government really influences so many parts of their lives, whether they understand that or not. You know, from in the morning, if you put milk in your cereal, that milk has gone through a regulation process. Um, in order to ensure certain quality standards, but that also kind of affects the way uh, dairy products are marketed in our country. And so that leads to interesting discussions, even about something as mundane seemingly as milk, much less roads or airlines or schools or other things that government touches on a regular basis. And I think once you start to explain why government matters, then it becomes really a discussion of what's your role in this process um, and, and how should you be engaged and involved in this process but Carmen, it's a, you know, I have students in class there. Many of them are there because they want to be there. 
Um, but even with students who want to be there, this is a hard set of, dis- of of arguments to get into because something like free speech or political tolerance, those are those are deep concepts and they take time to unpack and explain the importance of and they take patience to work through. And many people just aren't willing to devote that kind of of study and patience to it. Um, so, you know, we're running into a lot of natural obstacles, I think, even from the beginning, even within a society like America, which tends to value these things. Uh, I don't think they're nearly as deeply or widely valued as, as we might think. Hmm. All right. Here's some conversation starters for you and the person um, you see next today. Why does government matter? What is government for? Why uh, or what are the essential functions of government? Um how how does government influence your morning latte or your morning commute or what you're listening to right now and how you're hearing it? We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith here in just a moment. You can find him at Cedarville University. Um, what's the difference between men and women? You know, this is a Mars and Venus conversation. Um, where where are men headed and in which direction and where are women headed in which direction and Shall the two ever meet again? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Here's um here's a headline for you. Men and women are different. Mm-hmm. Men and women are different, and they are distinctively different. And God created us male and female. And although we are absolutely alike in being made in God's image, we are different. Uh, here to talk about that today is Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. Um, all right, Mark. It's not news that men and women are different. We probably all have some sort of cultural. Um, recognition when I say men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Um, Men and women are actually trending in different and diverging political directions. Um, And that, that creates some challenges for us in discipleship and in the church. What, how might the church respond um, to, to sort of this uh, divergent uh, trajectory of men and women in terms of the world today? Well, I think that there are some 
practical things that churches can do. I mean, because as you said, you know, the evidence seems to be that men are becoming more conservative, especially young men, women becoming more liberal, young women in particular. And if we recognize that fact within our pews, uh, then I think you can be proactive about it as a church. Um, I think I think first you have to recognize that um, in terms of, of politics, uh, discipleship is happening politically outside of the church. You know, most people are being discipled toward their political point of view um, from media sources, uh, from podcasting, from uh, YouTube, TikTok. I mean, you name it. Uh, their political information and their political values, as we were talking about in the last segment, are really coming from other places. And so I think the church can do a better job of trying to disciple people, at least in some ways, on basic fundamental uh, political sets of values. They have to start there uh, and sort of push back a little bit, a little bit against uh, what people are hearing outside of the church. But I think more than that, um, an important point is that we have to make sure that people, men and women, feel like they're valued in the church, You know that, that we speak to them and value both of them uh, both sets of people because uh, for who they are, uh, you know, the article that uh, you and I both read that gets into this issue from Christianity Today um, says that a big part of this mission for the church is just to make sure that we let men know that they're valued and that they're wanted at church. And that we also let women know that they are valued and that they are wanted at church. And, you know, I think you can argue at different times in our history and in different churches and different theological settings, men haven't necessarily felt welcome and women haven't necessarily felt welcome, depending on the context. And so I think making people feel welcome uh, within the church is a huge part of it. And I'm not sure we always do very well at that. I remember um, a conversation in a book, um, Courtney Rising. Um, or Rising, um, accidental feminist, or the accidental feminist, or something like that, and and I remember um, thinking to myself as she was talking about these waves of generational feminism and sort of where we are today, and we don't, we wouldn't even recognize um, the way that young women think as we wouldn't even recognize it as distinctively feminist. We would just recognize it as, well, this is how everybody thinks in the culture today. And I think that is a part of this conversation. Who is actually catechizing? Who is actually teaching and influencing um, not only boys, but in particular girls? Um, And so that's a conversation for us to have. Maybe it's something that each one of us could actually just spend some time taking some notes on, like, who, in addition to me, you know, and the lovely conversations we have every day, um, who are you listening to? Who are, who are you reading? Um, And if, if as you look at that list, um, if you're a woman and the, and the only voices that you're listening to are quote unquote female influencers who have perfect Instagram feeds and, um, you know, and everything is filtered. And trust me, they're paying a social media person to help them do that, to curate their life in order to show you uh, what they're telling you is a real life, but we all know isn't if we actually pay attention. Um, and so we've set this expectation out there that's completely unreachable 
it's it's unrealistic. Um, and yet it's what many, many young Christian women in particular, like, think they are supposed to be and do and have. Um, and, and and Mark, you may not know this, but I mean, if you look at all of that, men are props in all of it. I mean, just men are, they are functional props in these feeds. And um, it's, it's not God's design. I guess maybe this gets back to a conversation about, you know, the way God designed us as male and female to be um, a, a beautiful and perfect complement to one another. And that's actually where complementarian comes from, by the way. Um, and so what, what does that look like and what does that mean? And, and how are we supposed to function as men and women um, together as a reflection of the image of God in humanity? And how then are our marriages and ultimately our families to be a reflection of all of that as well? So I don't know. I'm just kind of musing um, here for a moment on on what I think is a hard conversation to have particularly with young women who they absolutely want in their heart of hearts what those Instagram feeds promise. Yeah, it's a tough conversation. And I think think it needs to happen uh, with with men and women. Uh, I think there's a real need for people to feel dignified and welcomed, but still not feed into the idea that our identity is based on our gender. You know, because as believers... Mm -hmm. Our identity isn't rooted there. It's rooted in uh, in Christ and ultimately being within the body of Christ is really who we are. And it's easy for us to, to view our identity through that gender-specific lens, especially in our society today. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. All right. Well, we could obviously till the soil of this conversation for um, for hours on end. Um, if you guys are looking for uh, a book on this topic, it's not uh, it's not Christian in its emphasis, um, but it does unpack all of this uh, male and female content in terms of which direction and the divergence of men and women in this um, in the youngest of the generations of um, of adults. I'd recommend Jean Twangy's Generations. She's a professor at San Diego State University, um, and she writes in this area. Um, and yeah, and that's where you really get this content about, um, the diverging worldviews and particularly the political views of young men and young women. And, uh, and if those two groups of people continue to diverge, you can imagine what that means long-term in the United States of America, not just for marriage, but for the raising of children. Um, and obviously that's of critical importance. So Mark, as always, thank you so much. Blessings on you in this new fall semester. Uh, blessings on you and your listeners as well. And I will talk to you again soon. Take care. Thank you so much. All right, let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, what are you praying for this morning? What are you praying about? Who are you praying for? Have some uh, when you pray encouragement for you. Um, These were my when you pray notes. When you pray, consider praying some of the prayers that we find in the Bible. So certainly, you know, pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Literally pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. But also, like, go back to 1 Samuel and pray Hannah's prayer. Go to Psalm 51 
and pray David's prayer. Um, go to Psalm 130 and pray a prayer of lament. Pray with Paul, um, a prayer for the church and everyone in it um, from Ephesians chapter 3. And pray with Jesus again, um, his own prayer in John 17. If you're looking for encouragement, stimulation, um, and fodder for your prayer life, pray some of the prayers of the Bible. We're going to talk with Kathy Branzell next. She uh, heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force, and we're going to talk about laboring in prayer. Um, We're going to talk about Labor Day and what it looks like to work as worship and pray throughout the day. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our friend Kathy Branzell is back from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, friends. How are you? Oh, I am well. I'm delighted to hear the sound of your voice. I'm so happy to be back. I missed you all. So thank you for grace as I walked through grief and just this hard summer of losing my mom. And um, but boy, I sure missed you guys. So kept you in my prayers. Yeah, you um, you got to spend some precious time with your dad as well. Yes, lots of time with dad. So including through the hurricane last week. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh, goodness. Uh, yes. Oh, well, well, I, welcome I, back. I um, and we, we also recognize that like the journey, you know, for those of us that are like of an age and still privileged <laughs> to have parents um, who are alive, the, the responsibilities and our responsiveness to them and their needs um, yeah. grows and it's real. And so um, thank you for tending, tending to, you know, grief in the loss of your mom, but also, you know, tending to the, um, you know, to the needs of your dad. And so yeah. thank you for, yeah, That's thank you. Thank you for honor, being a good, I, good. I think that honoring our mother and father, you know, goes even into their eternal life and um, how we care for them in their older age when the, when the caregiving shifts from them mm-hmm. being the giver to the receiver. Um, but, you know, even how we speak of them, remember them and, and mourn them. Um, is a part of the honoring, and that's obedience to God. So thank you. It occurs to me that it's okay to um, to eulogize people, um, not just in that one service of worship where we celebrate their life publicly and acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus. Um, you know, we call it a funeral or a celebration of life. Um, right. It, but it's okay to eulogize them all the time. So you want to tell us a little about your mom? Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, my mom grew up in like the middle of nowhere, Georgia, right? I mean, just go to nowhere and then go to the sticks and there was her house. And then she became a military wife. So imagine the shift in her life from small, small country community to the world. And um, I I believe that my mom's faith is what carried her through such a huge transition and so many challenges. My dad was a military pilot and then special forces and then in the Pentagon in counterterrorism. And so she had a lot, a lot um, to process and two kids to raise and how grateful I am that she did it in faith. Um, my mom would profess that she was quite the worrier, 
And in her last 10 years, um, walking with me in prayer, she became a warrior. And it was so beautiful at her celebration of life to hear people say, you know, your mom would call and say, how can I pray for you? And then she would pray, you mm. know, and then of this, okay, I'm putting it in my journal. She, she really became um, a warrior and I'm so grateful for that. And I know that's how she walked through life. So just a lesson for all of us. Um, did you know Sarah Young? I did. Could you, um, for, we have, we have talked briefly here. Um, we've acknowledged that, uh, Sarah Young, author of Jesus Calling, um, went home to be with the Lord. And so mm-hmm. I, it occurred to me that you might have known her personally and might be able to, um, to eulogize her today for a moment as well. Um, so we weren't close friends. I had the privilege of of meeting her, getting to know her. What what you read, what you see, is um, is a life so well lived in the Word of God, and that every breath, every thought, every feeling, every response, in every circumstance, um, the Word abided in her heart, and she abided in the Word. And I love how she shared that with all of us. I love how there was no opinion. There was no um, expansion uh, or taking away of the word of God. Uh, she, she, when I think of her life now, I just think about, you know, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And Sarah's entire life um, was lit you can see the path of her life lit in the word of God. And that is something I strive for every day. Hmm. That's a beautiful image. Mm-hmm. Is the path of my life lit um, with the word of God? That, that is, um, it's a beautiful image. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, many of us learned a whole lot about, engaging the scriptures devotionally and engaging in prayer in a deeply personal way that maybe we hadn't been exposed to um, in other experiences. Sarah taught a lot of us to, um, to, to pray um, and to listen when we pray, right? To listen when we pray. Um, Prayer is obviously uh, something that you lead people into. Um, You, you write a lot about, you talk a lot about, you lead in and so I'm looking um, on the National Day of Prayer website at nationaldayofprayer.org um, at this piece uh, called Wonderful Are Your Works. Whose works mm-hmm. are wonderful and how does, um, how does my reflecting on the wonderful work of God make my work wonderful? Yeah, so when you get up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror, do you think, wow, Lord, wonderful are your works? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we have to remember, uh, I, we've said it over and over, and I'll keep saying it. You are God's workmanship. You're a masterpiece. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make messes. You are God's beautiful workmanship, fearfully and wonderfully made. For the good works, he's already prepared. And and so in that, that is a conf- God confidence, not a self-confidence. It's a God confidence. It's a joy. It's this great anchored hope in Christ Jesus that we get to walk in every day. And again, 
he lights your path. He doesn't throw us out in the darkness and say, good luck with that. Uh, He has prepared the work. He has prepared the worker. And he lights the path throughout the work. Um, and as and we stay in his word, uh, you, you've heard this over and over again, too, that we take his word. There's information and inspiration. And our response, our part is application. And then the Holy Spirit's part is the transformation. He, the Spirit equips us. The Spirit's work is the fruitfulness in our life. And there's transformation. And best of all, then there's glorification. And so um, remembering in all we do, all we do, you know, scripture says in our eating and our drinking and our getting up and our lying down, but if in changing diapers and washing dishes in uh, helping a client, helping a child, teaching, learning, doing our homework in all we do in every moment, it's worship to the person um, in response for us being his workmanship. I like the way you actually talk about work as worship as well. I'm going to read this paragraph. Have you ever thought about, um, you know, when you go to worship on Sunday, that you go to work on Monday? Like, have you ever thought of that dichotomy? Well, according to God's perspective, we worship every day in many ways. The word worship in Psalm 2, verse 11, is the Hebrew word abad. Um, And it means to labor, to work, uh, to serve. It's used 290 times in the Old Testament. Um, Help us connect our work to worship. How am I worshiping at work, in work? Um, Like, what, what what does that look like? What does that mean? Yeah, it's so much bigger. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, I work so I can write my tithe check. It's like, no, no, no. Yes, but it's so much bigger than that. You don't work to give God 10%. We give God a hundred percent and we have to remember that the creator of our lives and the creator of time doesn't waste either one of those things. Every moment has mission and meaning. And so uh, we may not understand it, but there is kingdom worth. There's kingdom purpose. If you're an accountant, if you're a teacher, if you're um, working in a fast food restaurant, you're a waiter, Whatever it is, wherever God's called you for such a time as this, such a time there, there are people um, who need to hear from you, who need to hear your testimony, who need to see you live out God's word, but there's purpose in that work. And I know you're, you can sit today and think, how in the world is my job at wherever you work, how does that have kingdom purpose? but it does. You don't wait till you retire to go into full-time ministry. The minute you said yes to Jesus at whatever age you said yes to Jesus, because there's no Holy junior Holy spirit, you stepped into full-time ministry with Jesus Christ and you're ministered to. And so remember, God's got something for you. It's not just that we pour out until we're empty. It's that Jesus is always pouring in their living water flows. And so wherever your steps um, and when your plans are fully interrupted and frustrated, when your calendar doesn't go the way that you thought it was supposed to go today, look for God's hand and heart in that as well. 
Kathy, that is so good. When you said yes to Jesus, you stepped into full-time ministry with Jesus Christ. You are on his mission, um, which is for his kingdom advancement. Have you ever thought about your salvation in that way? Did you think it was just for you so that you could get a ticket stamped to heaven um, so that you could just be liberated from the bondage of sin and death? Yes. I mean, yes, salvation is those things. But at the moment you said yes to Jesus, um, you died and he lives and your life, um, moment by moment, um, task by task, is ministry. Right. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you stepped into full-time ministry. Wow. Does that blow you away this morning? We're going to continue our conversation mm-hmm. with Kathy Brenzel here in just a moment. We're talking about, you know, the stewardship of life. Jesus um, gives us life and he gives us life with a purpose and on purpose. So what does it look like to steward that um, at work, at school, at home, in this very moment? You're listening to, moment, to, to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We've entered a new school year. Do you have uh, a discipleship plan of your own? Have Have you gone back to school? disciple of Jesus? Do you have a study plan for the fall? Kathy Branzell is here. She heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Um, what does it look like, Kathy, to steward our life as disciples of Jesus um, and and maybe to steward our schools as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, realize that we live everything in a response, not in a payback. We can never pay Jesus back for our salvation. We could never pay back all of our blessings. But yeah, there there is a response. There's this thank you. There's this um, excitement and appreciation and an affection. Oh, we talked right before the break about, um, you know, that when we said yes to Jesus, we stepped into full-time ministry. It's because we stepped into a relationship, not a religion. So like when you get married and you've said, I do, you're not, I'm done. It's just the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, in that same way, you continue to get to know one another. And and as you step into this school year, um, you know, I was a teacher for 10 years. Education is near and dear to my heart. Um, How will you be discipled? Your disciple is student. Uh, what is it that you're going to do to continue to grow deeper as you study God's word, as you live out, as there's application? No teacher just teaches you so you have the knowledge, right? If I know how to cook dinner, that's great. But if I don't actually go cook dinner, my family's going to go hungry, <laughs> mm. right? And so um, asking God in prayer, what do you want to teach me this year? And how do you want me to live it out? And, um, and so that is just one way. And of course, 
We um, wanna bless our schools. So much has happened since I didn't get to be with you in August and school started actually here in Georgia in July. Mm. Um, that seems so early, but we need to be out there prayer walking our schools and also adopting the schools that are near and dear to us in continual prayer. Uh, that is the greatest way. Remember last year's National Day of Prayer theme, uh, pray fervently in righteousness and avail much. Um, much needs to be availed in schools and all schools and our students, our teachers, our parents in the community that it, it's, it thrives in and teaches in and sends out leaders into. And so we are asking everyone to adopt a school near them and adopt a school that's dear to them. Maybe your grandchild or niece or nephew or one that you graduated from, you went to and to continually pray throughout the school year for those schools. So good. Um, you have a glory story right now posted uh, at nationaldayofprayer.org. Um, and it is about a principal of a school in Texas. Can you, can you tell us that glory story? How about a divine appointment? So I met this principal um, in London in a restaurant last summer, this summer, and just happened, right, just happened to strike up a conversation with her and found out that she was from uh, San Antonio, Texas, where my husband was from, principal of a, the rival high school that my, my husband graduated from. And we had a wonderful evening of her sharing how in this uh, high school that she was the principal in, um, to her, it was a ministry. Uh, the large, large, large number um, of uh, varying races and low economic situations and, and a lot of hardship. And to hear her pour out her heart of how God used her and the challenges that she met and the partners in her community who came around her, the mentors, the successful business women and men um, in the community coming around her and wanting and working together to um, help every student become successful, to know that they are loved, that they have purpose, that they can learn and they can succeed. Um, it would what an incredible please go to nationaldayofprayer.org and read the story um, of this incredible principal in San Antonio. Uh, very inspiring. Uh, just makes you want to be like her, right? Yeah, I love this uh, language where you know she really felt like she was sent into exile. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, right? She was being um, sent to a place that you know she maybe it was even Jonah ish like it's not a place she would have preferred to have gone oh no um, but um but transformation took place over time and as she brought in teachers who were actually eager um to care for students regardless of what was going on in their in their homes or in their homelessness um it began to you know to transform things um this is a um this is a really wonderful story about a person who went with the gifts, talents, skills, and abilities that God had given her um, and really brought with her remarkable gospel transformation in one particular inner city school. Yeah. And think I want 
all of our listeners, because I've been thinking about this ever since I met her, um, about how God will use the things and the places you'd never choose. I mean, look back on your life and think about the growth and the blessings and the people um, that are in your life now because God um, God chose to use a place, a time, a situation you would have never um, said, oh, I choose that. But God did, and we're better for it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the source of all good gifts, the gift of leadership, the gift of creative vision, the gift of building strong partnerships, the gift of teaching, all the talents and abilities that um, make a good school leader. And so we're going to pray today for our schools and everyone in them and everyone related to them. Pray right now for the leaders of the schools that are near to me and dear to me and the ones that are near and dear um, to to every um, to every one of us. Um, we would ask that the leaders of those schools would walk in the calling you have placed on their lives, that they would um, be good teachers in the absolute um, most robust definition of the term good. Guide them with boldness and love. Um, help them to relentlessly advocate for the well-being and flourishing of every child, physically, mentally, emotionally, academically, spiritually. We pray that students would know um, the leaders of their schools and see them as um, people placed by you, gifted by you, called by you, and direct the decisions of each and every one of our school administrators and teaches, teachers and coaches and everyone involved toward uh, being good stewards of relationships and resources, rewards for each and every school, for the flourishing of each and every child. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That, that uh, prayer is a part of the post at nationaldayofprayer.org. Um, you know, if you're going to pray with us for schools in our communities and you want to read the glory story that we talked with Kathy about, um, the, the piece is called Stewarding a School, and you will find it at nationaldayofprayer.org. Kathy, as always, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks so much. God bless you. Likewise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. Well, we were talking with Kathy. I had this thought. Um, what would it look like for us to apply our theology of adoption to schools um, and then maybe to hospitals, to post offices, to police departments, to city hall, um, to senior living facilities, to camps or conference centers, to, I don't know, the public library or a bookstore near you? Like, what would it look like for us to apply our theology of adoption to places where people gather together um, for various and sundry reasons. Like, what would it look like for you to adopt one of those places or spaces this year? Let's start with, let's adopt them in prayer. Um, Every time you drive by, every time you are drawn near, every time you have to go there, um, just draw them into your life of prayer, near and dear. We got another hour together up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now.
And thanks.